in my, in my late teens, uh, I was living in, in San Diego, where we're from, and I, all of us, we all spent time that went to high school and college together, we all spent time at, at 20th Street in Del Mar, uh, in North County, San Diego, and the parking was just atrocious, and so I was always, I, I liked shortcuts, and so I would, instead of parking like a mile away and walking, I just wanted to be with my friends, so over a period of about six months, I racked up like $300 in parking tickets uh, in, all by myself. Isn't that amazing? I didn't even need help from anybody. I, I did it myself. Um, and so I would just find a spot like where you weren't supposed to park. And somehow, even though every time, there wasn't one time that I did it, uh, that I didn't get the parking ticket. And yet somehow, every time that I did it, I thought there would be a different result. I truly believed that this time he would pass me up. Like, you know, he's gotten enough. Let's not do it. So, so I, I learned my lesson eventually. But uh, the, the, the principle is, is that what I believe and what I do determines my destiny. Whether it's a small thing like parking tickets or, or whether it comes down to our spirituality, our faith. What I believe and do determines my destiny. Um, think of these scenarios in life that we go through. So if a student believes certain things and does certain things, then they're going to have that result. They're, if they believe that if you know, they do their work and do what the teacher says and, and they turn it in and do well on things that they're going to get A's, then they probably are. If they believe that they're going to just kind of do a little bit and get C's, and, then they're probably going to do that as well. Um, you know, if I'm a parent and I, and I believe that you know, just spending consistent time with my kids is going to make a difference, not just in our lives now, but for the rest of their life, uh, then I'll do that. If I'm a parent and I believe that, you know what, if you just feed them and, and send them to school and get them to places and they don't really need FaceTime with me, then, then they'll be okay or, or that's enough, then, then that's enough. You'll have certain results. Um, financially, what I believe and do as well, um, you know, comes out. So if I, uh, if I just, you know, believe that I, you know, you know, I want to be the most in debt person on the face of the earth that Dave Ramsey can rescue me, uh, you know, that it'll be the best story ever, then, then that's what you'll get. Um, uh, also health, you know, if I believe that I can just eat anything or, you know, and, and still be healthy, you know, after a while, that's going to affect things. Um, you know, if today, if uh, we're sexual, financial, or relational atheists, right? In other words, that God isn't involved in any of those areas in my life. You know, that God just doesn't go there. He kind of says, look, you, you kind of be in that category. I'm in the, I'm in the religion category. You know, then, then we'll get certain results in with that. So what I believe and do determines my destiny. Uh, spiritually, you know, there's all sorts of ideas today about spirituality. Uh, you know, people are focused on getting to God. There's, there's all sorts of ways to get to God today. Uh, and, and if you just do this, you'll get to God. Uh, people are um, uh, focused on today becoming the God that we are. Uh, you'll hear that some, that if that we just become the God that we already are and, and we're God. Um, and realizing that, there's a lot of spirituality with that. And then also, too, in, in, in Christianity as well, there's kind of a resurgence of this kind of just rigorous spirituality, that it's just, it's just got to be, you know, just rigorous and hard, and I just have to do it perfectly, and there's a resurgence of that uh, within Christianity and other spirituality as well. So, so what we believe and do determines our destiny, what we end up getting. We'll, we'll get what we put in, uh, but the way of Jesus is different. The way of Jesus is different than 
than those examples of spirituality. The way of Jesus is different, and so there's really none like him. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do is let's focus on living with him today. So let's pray and welcome God's presence. Father, we thank you for um, this time that we have together. We thank you for each person that's here, that they're a unique representation of you, that uh, with each one, you, you broke the mold. With each one, uh, you decided that you would create them and that you would be intimately involved in their lives and that you have goodness and life and love for them. And so, Holy Spirit, would you teach today that we might hear your voice, that we might be changed, that we might go out in this holiday weekend knowing that we heard from you. And I also pray, Lord, that you would help us. Some of us are making decisions today, and, and, and we really need to hear from you. So we ask you to speak. Amen. Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7 is where we left off last week. And this is what we read when we went in it. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And as a reminder, those three things there about rooted and built up and strengthened, uh, those are things that are in the, in, the, in the passive voice. So those are things that God does in us. Okay, And then the part that we do is the part of thankfulness, that when we allow God to do what he wants to do in our lives, thankfulness comes flowing out. And so the first thing we see today in our passage of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, is that we see that we have fullness and freedom in Christ. So we're really not lacking anything. Um, and if we forget that we have fullness in Christ, then typically we lose our freedom because we start acting a different way. So verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So Paul uh, saw that there was outside influencers in this community of first uh, century Christians. And so he's writing to uh, come against that. He's, he's writing to have a clear picture of Jesus so that they would be able to continue in the faith that they had started. They would be able to walk after him the way that they received him. And he makes sure about this. If we were to boil down what he's saying, the, the acid test of true Christianity, right? Because there's all sorts of ideas and paths out there or, that are presented. The, the acid test of true Christianity is, is Jesus Christ at the center and at the focus of all that is done? That's the true acid test. It's the acid test for my life if I'm following after Jesus. It's the acid test for us as a, a body of believers. Is Jesus Christ center and the focus of all that we do? And so that's what Paul is making sure that they have as well. Uh, he does a little bit of wordplay where it says in verse 8, if you look there, where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Um, the, the word that he uses there for that is syllagogeo. Uh, and so he's doing a little bit of wordplay. It kind of sounds like synagogue in, in, in the Greek. And so it's similar. And so what he's doing is he's using a word that, uh, that he's pointing to the ones that are trying to hold them captive. And so it was the, the synagogue, it was the, it was the Jews that had rejected Jesus, and now they were coming to these, um, 
to these uh, Gentiles that were following Jesus and saying, hey, so you've started to follow after God, and, and you've got a little bit, but l- let us share the completion of this. You need something else as well. Uh, it's interesting what you're doing with Jesus, but let us share really what you really need. And so they were trying to break in. So Paul hints at who the person is that's trying to come in on them. But if you look at verse 8, where it says, see to it, I'm, I'm pretty driven. Like if you say, hey, Cody, do such and such, I'm on it. I, I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm a pit bull on a pork chop, if, 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 okay? So it's just like, if it's important, if it needs to be done, let's go for it. And so when I see a term like see to it, for my personality, you may be different, but that kind of consumes me. Like this is something I'm supposed to focus on. But how do we see to it that no one takes us captive without being fearful, right? Because I, I, I've been around, you know, I wasn't raised in the church, but in my teenage years, I came to Christ, and I've been around the church long enough that there's a whole lot of people in the church that are walking around scared. They're walking around like, um, it's almost the equivalent of like wearing like a hazmat suit, okay? They're walking around that it's just like that nothing would come against this. And in the same thing, they're just scared of seeing to it, right? I'm just seeing to it. I'm seeing to it. But in the process, by wearing the hazmat suit, maybe in our thinking or philosophically or different ways, what we do is we, we reject the power that actually is ours. Because all throughout Scripture and all throughout time, what we've seen is, is that God is more powerful. But Paul says, see to it. So, so how, do we, how do we do this and still think, love, and live? Right? It's not just kind of a circling the wagons and pulling back and just keeping anything that possibly could keep away from us. And if you have little kids here now, you know it's like it's fall. And they're around all those other Petri dishes, you know, and, you just, you know, and then they bring it home. And so, so it's, right, I understand the concept, but spiritually, see to it, we need to continue to think, love, and live. And what he points out is, is he points out that in verse 8 is he says that there's a deceptive and hollow philosophy. So a philosophy that depends on the way a person lived, uh, even in the church. So if you say, well, man, this is really how I'm going to know Jesus, is um, this pastor leader, they lived this way, they did this. Or, or, um, or you know, and, and they fasted for this long, and, and, and I look at their life, and isn't it impressive? And, and um, this person, uh, they tithed consistently from the age of four uh, till 94, and, and that's how you really honor God, and that's what must have done it. Uh, so there's all these different things that we can grab onto, and we, we like to make that our path, but those are deceptive philosophies, even in the church, where we make anybody else our, our focus. Uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, his cousin, right? And so he had all these followers and people, and people were coming to him saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? And he said, look, one's coming that, that I'm not even worthy to, you know, to, to do the, the straps on his sandals. There's one coming that's so much greater than, than, than I, and, and I baptize with water, but you know, he's going he's gonna to baptize, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's going to baptize you, in, you know, with holy water. He's going to baptize you with fire. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That it's not just water there, but God's going to live in you through him. And so John, what he did, he had these followers, and then one day in the, in the Gospel of John, you can read, he's walking along, and all of a sudden, he stops, I imagine, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it's interesting, as you read the Gospel of John, you see that his disciples no longer followed him, 
but follow Jesus. So know that, that our goal and our aim, any leaders here or, or as a body here as a church, our whole focus is that there would be a whole bunch of people that follow Jesus. And you say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. A whole bunch of people that follow Jesus, that, that know him enough that you could be offended by him, right? You have true friendship. You have true relationship when, when somebody can offend you, right? Uh, when, I was a, when I was a little kid, I used to go to people's houses and break stuff. I would go and just break it every time. And, you know, I got to the point where I, I, I basically kind of just put it back together and, hey, I'll see you later. And, and so, Cooper, you didn't know where you got that from, did you? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and so, so, you know, but I was close enough. I, I was welcomed in their home that I could break their stuff. You know, is Jesus that close for you today? You know, that, that he can break your stuff. And, and that's, that's the goal. It's different than the philosophy that he's talking about here. Because we need to remember that with Christ, we don't receive a tradition. We don't receive an idea, but we receive a person. An actual person, which is Jesus Christ. And, and we have to believe that we have fullness in Christ, that we're not lacking anything. And it's hard because people can present things and incredibly, um, they're incredibly, uh, you know, they can, they can just show us, make us feel like we don't have anything. When I first followed, started following Jesus, I got around this guy. I was, I was working at this gas station back when they had, uh, uh, you know, you would, uh, you would help people pump their gas and stuff. And, and so we'd go there, and it was a real nice town, and they'd tip us and everything. And there was this guy working there, and I told him. I was so excited about Jesus. I said, hey, I've given my life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And I'm following him, and, and, and I just didn't know much besides I, I knew I received Jesus. And, and he goes, well, let's see if you know Jesus. And then he starts walking me through this thing. Well, do you know this prayer? And do you know that? I'm like, nope. And he goes, he goes you don't know Jesus. And, I'm like, and I still remember, and I walked away. But I knew enough to say, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think I know Jesus. I don't know what that is, but I know Jesus because I knew I had received a person. And so as I walked through that, and, and it's the same today, but we you know that we have fullness in Christ. In verse 9, if you look, it says, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. So Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Verse 10, you have been given fullness in Christ. And then lastly, at the last part of verse 10, the head over every power and authority, that's Jesus. So you ever, uh, you ever get takeout? Like you go to a store and restaurant, you call in takeout, or you, you go order it, and, and, and you've asked for things a certain way. Uh, and, and then you get home, and it's like somebody else's order. Or you're going to the park and you need picnic stuff, but it's not in there. It's a terrible feeling, right? I realize first world problem. I'm not complaining. But you thought that it was all in there, but you were lacking. Here's the thing. With Jesus, it's all in there in the person of Jesus. There's not all this other stuff that we have to add in. The simplicity of just following Jesus and knowing him. That's what Paul is communicating, and that's what, he's, that's what we're reading as well. So what I believe and do determines my destiny. So if I believe that Jesus is the person of Jesus is everything, that if I just seek after Jesus, right? It, it's like this. We read the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, right? 
what we can do is we can then go after those things, the fruit of the Spirit, right? But the way that Christian spirituality works and the way that it works with God is that it's indirect. You see, I hang out with the one that is love, and I become loving. I hang out with the one that gives joy, and I become joyful. I hang out with the one that has ultimate self-control, that didn't sin at all, and I become one that has self-control. And so Jesus is my target that I'm going after. So um, the argument for false teachers you know, is confirmed even more here in verse 11. It says, In him uh, you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So we have a belief that we have freedom through Christ. Okay? That freedom through Christ. And it's not doing a religious act that was done before. So the Jews, God gave them circumcision to set themselves apart from the other people, okay? And so the Jews took it that this was the thing that made you right with God, or this kind of was the entry point. But Jesus said, no, now I am now the gate. I am now the door. I am now the one that you go to, to know God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet people were still saying to them, that's great, you're doing this, but now you still have to do this religious act. So Jesus pushing away from that. In verse 13, we see that here's the freedom. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. Who did that? God did. Okay? Uh, he for, in verse 13 as well, he forgave us all our sins. In verse 14, having canceled the written code, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now the Romans who, you know, uh, you know crucifixion was their deal. Uh, what they would do is when they would conquer an enemy, they would bring back uh, some of the goods or some of the, uh, you know, that represented those people. And if many times they would bring the king of the people that they conquered back to Rome. And if it was a big enough king, and then what they would do is they would ceremonially execute the king there for everybody to see. And so when you have Jesus nailed to the cross and the title that was placed above him was the king of the Jews, what were they doing? They were showing that they had conquered another enemy and that they were all powerful and ultimately their God, Caesar, and and their beliefs were, were all powerful. And yet, God had something else going on, didn't he? See, that's not what was happening. What really was happening is it was the paradox of the cross, right? That, that you have one that looks so defeated uh, that people were hurling insults at him and, and looks, you know, you could hardly tell that he was a man, one that laid down everything and, and looked defeated and the, the, his followers were scattered and, and there was no hope and, and he was just killed in just such a brutal way. And yet what was truly happening was that God was, and Paul writes about it in other places, God was going against the wisdom of man. He was going against our knowledge and how we thought things were doing. He was going against the wisdom of the Jews. He was going against everything that anybody ever thought. And what he was doing on the cross is he was actually the one that was making a public statement. 
He was the one that conquered all people. He was the one that conquered all powers and principalities on the cross. He was the one that was saying, every enemy is defeated. He was even overcoming me. He was even overcoming you on the cross. And of course, he needed to rise from the grave to put that stamp on that, which he did. He even defeated death itself. In verse 15, it says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Um, You know, so think of that. I mean, when the Romans would bring kings into town in Rome and, and put them on display, I mean, if you were like all in as a Roman, you would just say yes, you know. We are a part of the greatest thing that's ever been, and, and nobody can stand up against us. And I mean, you would live in a certain way, wouldn't you? And so when we see Jesus, arms wide, laying down his life, because if, if you're curious today what God is like, just look at the cross. Just absolute vulnerable love. And yet, how powerful it was. How powerful that he overcame everything. So how should we live now? I mean, if the Romans got invigorated, but as followers of Jesus, one that laid down everything and overcame every power and principality. uh, We spent a lot of time backpacking uh, through Yosemite in California. And we used to take students through there and whatnot. and, And... uh, so in Yosemite, I'm sure it's like this at most national parks, but in Yosemite, there's the valley in Yosemite, but then you have the backcountry. And the valley in Yosemite is kind of like Euro Disney, okay? It's just every people from all over and everywhere, and it's pretty safe, although I did get bit by a raccoon uh, one time in the valley. So um, uh, right here on the eye. That's a story for another day. But, but then there's the backcountry, you know, and even the waterfalls, like you can see them far, from far off. But if you go way out there, and that's what we would do is we'd go away in the backcountry. But see, that's the kind of faith that, that we can have. That's the kind of way that we can live in freedom because of what Jesus has done. Is not valley faith. And that's okay. Because quite honestly, sometimes we've got to go back to the valley, right? We've got to kind of just, just hang out. But the kind of faith, the kind of freedom that we have in Christ is such that we explore, we go, we go all about. Next, we see in verse 16, we see that we have reality in Christ. You know, everybody, you know, everybody defines things differently today, and it's, it's kind of a mishmash. And, and, you know, you can mesh all sorts of things that back in the 80s and 90s you couldn't do. People wouldn't take part, but now you can put all sorts of things together and, yep, let's call it work. You know, but reality is a big thing. You know, is there reality, people ask. And, but in Christ, we have reality. We have the real substance of things. In verse 16, it says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul's saying, look, move out of the shadows, Move away from the shadows to those things. And, and he's saying, he's talking about religious observance versus the simplicity of Jesus. Um, think about a loved one that is gone. You know, they're, they're no longer here. 
know, you, all you have is memories and a picture, right? If you, I mean, we have amazing pictures today or, or a video. Think about that, that picture. And it's like, it's almost like life can just come out of there. And it's so powerful, a picture or a video, Religious observance, like just do's and don'ts and a checklist and this is what I've got to do and I've just got to do these things versus the simplicity of Jesus is like if that person that you admire and love so much and you miss so much and you just want to hug them and be with them, it's like that person standing here but you stick with the picture. You just, no, this is good. I'm just going to stick right here. That's what religious observance is when the real person's here, the simplicity of Jesus. And that's what Jesus came to set the people free from then, and he comes to set us free from now because we fall back into it. In verse 18, Paul writes, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And so these are the self-appointed umpires of life. Right? You're out! That's, you know, anybody been around that? Right? Self-appointed umpires. Don't let them disqualify you. Paul's putting an image of the, um, uh, of the, of the games, the Olympic games, and that, you know, that you'd be disqualified if, you know, he's saying, look, just run your race. Run with Christ. Don't, don't let anybody disqualify you. Keep Jesus as your focus. In verse 19, it says, they have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So move out of the appearances. Uh, move out of that place. When I was in high school, I'm just sharing all my stuff with you today, just getting everything out there. It's been about you know six, seven weeks since I've been here, so now I'll tell you. So in high school, we had friends that lived in this community, Fairbanks Ranch. <clears throat> and per capita, it's like one of the most wealthiest you know, uh, communities in, in the country and probably the world. And um, but we, we had friends in there, and, and uh, there was a gate to get in the community, but there was a pond that was stocked with these big bass. And so, so for, I think, my senior year, we went there, like, several times a week. And what we did, though, is you, you had to be visiting somebody, right? So we, we had several friends that lived there. So we just said, oh, we're here to visit the Johnsons, and we're here to visit. And, and, and it... But, and then we'd drive a quarter mile down the road and then go to the lake and catch bass. And, uh, but it was all the appearances that were going there until my friends found out what we were doing, right? And it wasn't bad if we could visit them, but I was, I was telling that I was going to visit them when I was going to do something else. They had no idea I was coming. And so, you know, I had to move out of that appearances. And, and we can play games like that with God, too, right? We can do it by association. Well, you know, I go to such and such church and, 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 and that's good. Or I've, I've gone to church my whole life or, or um, I, I know the Bible backwards and forwards or, you know, I, um, you know, I, I believe in God. You know, it's, so there's, there's these religious games that we play and we know the right words to get through the gate and all those things. But at the end of the day, do I have the simplicity of Jesus? Knowing the person of Jesus, enough that he can break my stuff. We also see, lastly, that we have no need for shortcuts because we're already there. That's the difference between Christian spirituality and any other form or system is that Christian spirituality is not about getting there. You're already there. 
We actually are already there. Look at verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility. Now listen to this. And their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So in other words, all this rigorous stuff that you can place, that it's like, if I just walk through these steps, I'm going to get there. If I just walk through these ways of doing things, then I'm going to get there. They actually don't do anything. They don't actually keep us from not living with Christ or not living with God. They, they have zero power. They're just activity, right? If you've ever gone to a theme park, right, they have, they have the, the, the curves, like you walk this way and, and then you walk back this way. And the, the reason they do that is that if you just had to stand in one line, it would take up, it'd go really long. But when you do this, you have the appearance that you're actually making progress, I mean, you are kind of a little bit, but studies have shown that when you go through like a whole line or whatever, you're actually just doing this. But how much more encouraging is it if you go way over here and then come back here? See, religion's like that too. I can do all kinds of stuff, but I really haven't moved towards true spirituality or true God at all in that. And, and that's why, quite honestly, there's a whole lot of people within churches that man, they're doing all this stuff and they've got all these answers and they can comment on things and, and, and we can, right? And yet, where's the joy? Where's the fruit? Where's the stuff? And the answer is, is why can you have all of that and yet not, not like be getting anywhere where it's like I'm truly being transformed, I'm truly being changed. And I believe the reason is is because there's the shallow end and then there's the deep end, right? And the shallow end is, um, is the do's and don'ts and those can be controlled for a desired effect. Like I can clean up stuff. Jesus said to the Pharisees, the, the, the us of his day had plenty of knowledge about God and, and around the activity of God, he said to them, he said, you know, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is, is dirty. Because Christian spirituality is, is from the inside out. But what this says is that if I've chosen to follow Jesus, I'm already there. So when I try to take shortcuts, when I try to find a path or get there, arrive or those things, I'm actually going the long way around. Because the route, the true spiritual route, is that I need to die and rise again from the grave. That the old me, my righteousness, all that I am, needs to die, and then I need to rise again from the grave. That's what needs to happen. And how do you do that? Well, we don't. It's already been done. That's what this says. Is that with Christ, I died with him. And then I rose from the grave. And now my life is with him. And true spirituality is changing our thinking, allowing God to change our thinking, to grasp hold of that. 
If I find myself or you find yourself like striving to get there with God, now I'm not talking about like going hard after God. I'm not talking about like, God, I want to partner with you. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about like, hey, learning and doing things. But what I am saying is, is that if my target is different than Jesus, just the simplicity of Jesus, then I'm wasting my energy. But we have to have such trust that it's already happened. But now the reality is coming into my life. Like this turtle the other day. Uh, Michelle had told me she had seen a turtle when we were in here in June. I didn't believe her. But the other day we're driving on this road and there's this turtle. It's about that big. He's in the middle of the road. Just right in the middle line. And he takes a couple steps into the lane that I'm driving. And uh, that sucker, what he did is he just sucked his head right back in there. And just had such trust in his shell. Just, you know. And as I ran him over, it was just, no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. My wife was in the car. So, no, I wouldn't have run him over. That's horrible. You guys are terrible. Why would you laugh at that? So as I go, but but, but that's how we're to be, you guys. And it's just like, I have such trust in Christ that that it's just like, I'm just going to camp out right there. I'm going to camp out right there that it's done. I'm going to camp out right there that what Jesus did is enough. And now what I want is I want God to now move that reality of relationship and life over to me. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean I don't have to do anything? Au contraire. It means that I bring all of myself to him. And it's just fully focused on this person of Jesus. Now we read in Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4, and I want you to listen to this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So a new orientation for Christians a new orientation of the things above, but I'm here, and the reality of the above is moving in me, growing in me, but guess what? People won't truly see who you are in Jesus until he comes again. I can grow, I can change, I can transform, I can, all those things, but it truly won't be seen until that day. Until that day when he comes again, And then people will all see what we are and what we're made of. I'd encourage you to take the next 24 hours just as an action step and write down the way you live, the way you think, what you're focused on. And then at the end of it, reorient it that Jesus Christ is the focus. That Jesus Christ is right at the center of it. Jesus talked about yokes and he talked about, you know, take my yoke upon you for it is easy and light and good. The Jews had all these yokes that they would put on. And the yoke is like you'd be yoked to an oxen. And they, they, they had all these different yokes and they, they loved to create them. And, and these yokes they thought would get you to God. The yoke of giving and the yoke of serving and the yoke of these things. And, and boy, we can communicate that way too sometimes, can't we? Right? And yet Jesus said, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. What is he talking about? Weary from what? Religion. 
I'm, I'm weary from trying to get to God. I'm weary from trying to be spiritual. Come to me who are you're weary and tired and, and take my yoke upon you. For my burden is light. My yoke is easy. And he says to come and learn from me. And he puts that out to absolutely everybody. Just, just come and be with me. So let's stand together as we close today. We'll have the worship team come back up. And we're going to take our offering now, which is a part of our worship. And, and also, too, if you need prayer today, uh, we have some people that will pray for you up here. And, and I'd love to pray for you. Also, too, we have ice cream for you. And, and so if you'd like ice cream today, we said, hey, it's a holiday weekend. Let's have some ice cream Sunday. So, I mean, no joke. I took my son with me to shop, and, and so we're stocked. I just wanted to get some ice cream. He said, no, we've got cherries. We've got whipped cream. We've got nuts. We've got sprinkles. We've got strawberry, caramel, you know, all this stuff. So enjoy that today. You can even take it to go. It's a portable bowl. We don't need it back. But I changed the words on this last slide here, and it's, um, it's different than the, yeah, go back one. I changed it, uh, no, the one with the red there. Go forward. There you go, yeah. I changed the words, and I changed it so that it would be personal, first person. And, man, let's, let's let this be our anthem. Let's let this be our life. Let's let this be what we're about. Let's be a bunch of people that go out from here today, letting people know about this, letting people know that the pressure of life to to perform, the pressure of life to impress God, the pressure of life to impress other people. But we have more pressure than any other time to be something, don't we? And yet Paul writes that Jesus has made us something in him. And if you follow Christ today, you're becoming the person you were created to be. You're on the right path, the right road. So let's read these words together here out loud. Since then, we have been raised with Christ. We set our hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We set our minds on things above, not earthly things, for we died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we also will appear with him in glory.